0: Welcome to the Band Library Podcast. You can find us at bandlibrary.com, Twitter at bandlibrary, and wherever else librarians get together, throw some bones. My name is S.D. Harker, librarian and writer. You can find me on Twitter at bandwriter. If you want to help out in the library, become a friend of the library over on Patreon, patreon.com slash bandlibrary. Got over 350, hell, might even be close to 400 posts at this point. Get them all for $1 a month. It's cheap, isn't it? Well, it's been an interesting week at in the library. Things have happened. I won't say they haven't. I won't say they have. I definitely won't say people were trapped in a study room for an indeterminate amount of time. Far as I can tell, they make it out all right. They each had two legs, two arms, two eyes, two tongues. You know, the usual things that people walk in a library study rooms with. But enough about that right now. We're here to talk about House of the Spirits by Isabella Linde. Pretty friggin' good. I'm gonna give it that right now. I am also give the caveat that I only got about halfway finished with this book. Now, normally, I would sit here and say, well, I'm so sorry, you can wait till next week, I'll finish the book. But, it has a bit of a waiting list for the actual physical copy. And I was doing the audiobook, thinking I'd be smart, get ahead of myself. But about the 49-minute mark, but about the 49-minute mark, Things went a little haywire. I don't know why, but the music player on my phone just decided it was done. Wasn't going to play that file anymore. So I decided, hey, yeah, what the hell, I've already got to research. It's a long-ass book. Maybe we've got enough for 30 minutes of decent content going on here. So, when we get to about the halfway point, I'm just going to do a little summary from Wikipedia and move on with our lives. First, let's talk about Isabella Linde, born in 1942 in Lima, Peru. She is, quote, the world's most widely read Spanish language author. This book alone is translated into 37 different languages. See, her father, unfortunately, when she was little, disappeared. She was active. Mom moved her to Chile in 1953. She was widely read in her youth. She went to English schools, loved Shakespeare, all, all that kind of stuff. 1962, she got married. She's a mother of two. Took some different books, uh, jobs writing things. She was fired, and this is one of my favorite, for translating romance books because she was taking the heroine's dialogue and making it more intelligent. Even a copy of Cinderella. I don't have the copy in front of me, but it was like more... Basically, she made the ending like everybody's a lot happier. 1973, she helped organize safe passage out of Chile after General Augusto Pinochet took over, started putting people on lists list until she got herself on the list and got the fuck out and went to Venezuela. That's where she really started writing, including 1981, House of the Spirits. Unfortunately, a little tragic, News: Nineteen ninety-two, her do- daughter Paula passed away. They gave her the wrong medication. Apparently, she had porphyria. There was complications. She slipped into a coma, and she died. But you can donate to the charity in her name. Now, like I said, she began working on the book in Venezuela in nineteen eighty-one. On January eighth, she got a call. Her then ninety-nine-year-old grandfather was dying. Although some reports also said one and one hundred years old, but. Who knows? Some people just like a round number. But apparently, she got a call saying he's dying, so she just decided to write him a letter. Make him last a little bit longer, keep his spirits up. That letter became the book that we're going to be talking about. The intent of the work was basically to exorcise all the ghosts from the Pinochet dictatorship. All the people that got left behind or gone away. Of course, this, like a lot of her books, that also, she always starts on January 8th now, she considers it a lucky day, they fall in the realm of magical realism. Which means, for the most part, this is a realistic telling of a story, but every once in a while, somebody's into some, you know, they can see the future. Or there's some crazy shit with a dog. You know, just little stuff like that. It's like, yeah, this is our world, but there's a little bit of, A little bit of funky happiness in there. She's compared a lot to uh, Gabriel Marquez, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, a lot in that. Now this book was also turned into a film by, with Jeremy Irons, Meryl Streep is in it, Winona Ryder's in it, Glenn Close, Antonio Banderas. The reason you haven't heard about it, depending the fact that there's all these A-listers in it, is that it bombed fucking hard and everybody pretty much that ever heard of the book said, yeah, um, Jeremy Irons, Meryl Streep, Winona Ryder, Glenn Close, and Antonio Banderas, besides Antonio Banderas, none of these people are Latin American whatsoever. And of course, the book is based on Chile, even if it doesn't mention it. Still, 1993, wake up a little bit. Of course, we can... Barely say that now, depending on what role Scarlett Johansson is taking at any moment. So can't look back too harshly, can we? Of course, it was also turned into a 2009 play, which was well regarded, very awarded, and is upcoming 2018. As of 2018, Hulu began work on a series for it. So yeah, it's going pretty good. So as we have been, let's just, let's just dive right into this story. Like I said, I didn't really get to finish it, but we'll do as much as we can if I miss some, that something is called out in the beginning that you know has like a callback in the end of the story. Sorry. I'm going to miss that. But we start out with a Del Valle family, and we're looking at the two daughters, Clara and Rosa. There's the youngest daughter, Clara. She's got paranormal power. She can see the future. She can move shit with her mind. It's all kind of craziness. Then there's her sister, Rosa, who's, from all accounts, super hot. and Has green hair, of all things. And Clara talks about her Uncle Marco's death. Apparently there was a plane crash. Uncle Marco was supposed to be on it. He was a world traveler. Then all of a sudden he shows back up with all this shit, and he's like, hell yeah. unfortunately... Rosa not so lucky and Clara predicted that accidental death Rosa drinks one night some brandy that was intended for her father unfortunately he was going to run for the Senate politics being what they are somebody poisoned that brandy and she died that night Clara sits there young I think she's like 7 or 8 she's not very old And watches the autopsy happen. Doesn't speak again for another nine years. She's also got this big creepy fucking dog that, for some reason, they don't talk about too much. Which made me immediately think this child was of the devil. Like, she's the omen, she has a big guard dog protector thing. But anyway, that comes up in a little bit later, but not much, honestly. Nothing much ever done to that. But Rosa was, she had a fiance. She was going to be married. This dude named Esteban, he's a poor miner. He's devastated. Breaks down. He's crazy. Decides, fuck it. If he can't have the woman he loves, he's going to go off. He's going to turn his family's farm into like a really big thing. He's going to, he's going to devote his life to it. And this is all he's going to fucking do. So he goes there and he meets this one dude. And he's like, Hey, you're the one dude. I'm going to, you're going to be the one to run this whole place with me. And the dude's like, shit, okay, I guess. And he sends money to his sister who takes care of his mother. And they're all, you know, living in town while he's running the big, I almost want to say plantation. And he runs it big and gets it really big and running really well. He starts really kind of like lording over like, these peasants really need people in their place, kind of thing. Call himself Patron. He's just, it's really kind of disgusting. But basically, he just intimidates the shit out of them. And makes everybody work really hard until everything's running like clockwork. And he's making hand over fist. Got money out of his wazoo, And he's really having a good time. Him and Pedro. To the point where he's just going out. And since he's a sexually frustrated young man, he's just... Well, here's the part where we really start got to look at Esteban as a character because, well, he's raping lots of women at this point, peasant women. He even says later that he was like... he When he gets older, he's like, damn it, it used to be a lot easier to pull him up on my horse and rip the clothes off of him and have sex with him. But now they're all squirmy. And the first lady, of course, that he has sex with, that he rapes, Pancha Garcia... Has a little kid named Esteban Garcia. We'll meet him a little bit later. But Esteban, he goes to the city. He hears his mom's dying. He's like, holy shit. Hey, mama. And but there's this little aside that the big ass dog, the creepy fucking thing, is like killing other dogs by fucking them to death. Like they'd have to sit there and just turn the hose on it until the damn thing, you know, its dick went down and they could pull the fucking speared goddamn animal off of it all dead and shit it's fucking weird i don't know there's there's parts of this there's like okay that's an interesting thing to put in the middle of this story but his mom's dying so he's talking to her and she's like hey don't you get married and have some actual kids you know not all these rape babies he's like i guess so, okay cool sure mom so he goes over the deville family you know he's He's been away for a little while. Rose has been in the ground for a bit. Clara's still there, looking pretty hot. And he's like, "Hey, can I, can I marry Clara?" And Clara's like, "Fuck yeah, you can. I already knew you were going to anyway. Yeah, you know, she'd already predicted it. And this is the first time she's spoken in like nine years. So everybody's like, "Yeah, I guess so. I guess she's she's talking. She's yours now." So they they're engaged, and they build this big city mansion thing that almost reminds me of the winchester mansion if you really think about it apparently clara was in there and she just sort of directed people to tear down walls and build these other windows and stuff by what the spirits had to say and at one point the dog dies because that's what dogs do and he goes behind her back and has it stuffed and leads her into a room she has her own room of course it's like how do you like your room and she looks she opens her eyes and starts fucking what the fuck because, of, of course, her beloved demon animal is, like, laid out. You know, he's gutted it and made a rug out of it. And she's like, yeah, yeah, don't, don't fucking, don't make a rug out of my dog. That's kind of messed up. That's not right. Until so they take that shit away. And Esteban, they get married. Esteban's sister comes and loves with them because, you know, she's not taking care of the mom anymore. And it finds out Clara, she's sort of the little brat the family doesn't know how to do all the domestic stuff. So his sister just takes care of everything. Takes care of the house, takes care of the servants and, you know, decorating shit, making sure Clara gets her food ready. And Clara's just kind of hanging out, doing whatever. And first, the sister, uh, Farula. Uh, I'm just going to call her the sister. I feel like I'm saying that wrong, but I can't remember. Even though I listen to the audiobook, book, it, it goes fast. Anyway, She really gets attached. Like, really gets attached. We never really look at it like a sexual relationship, but it it is definitely a partnership of some kind. Like, my sister really, really gets into there. But anyway, Esteban just all about, you know, i got to have Clara at any time. And, you know, this girl, there's my sister-in-law. She's like, or my sister is... There's really too much on my wife, so you gotta go. She kicks him the fuck out and is like, yeah, just go. You'll never want for food, but don't come back. And she's like, fuck you. You're going to die. You're going to die alone. Die like a dog. By yourself. I don't need your shit. Clara's like, ah, oh, fuck. I really miss, miss her. We should find her. And Esteban's like, yeah, do what the fuck you want. I don't care. So she breaks out her, like, crystals her or divining orbs and all that shit. And she tries to find her, but sister-in-law doesn't want to be found. So what she ultimately thinks about. Like, oh, I guess she doesn't want me to find her at all. That's not something that she's up to. So I guess I can't find her if she doesn't want to be found. And the gap opens up and she has a daughter, Clara does. Everybody's cool with that, Blanca. So everybody's started to give a little bit weird. When Blanca, the baby, is born, which just means white, right? Which is really weird. Is just a really ugly baby? They almost got like an armadillo, it just looks really gross. But the baby looks it grows up really pretty. And later, on the day the twins are born, they said, okay, there's, you know, Claire's really big and pregnant. There's twins, twin boys in her stomach, you know. These are the heirs apparent. But they're She's about to give birth. She gets news that her parents are dead. Sister's already dead. Sister-in-law's been kicked out by her husband for loving her too much. Now her parents are dead. Car accident. Decapitated both of them. They can't find mom's head. So Clara, big all swole up, says, Fuck that. I can find mom's head. So she goes out there listening to the spirits and whatnot. Finds her mom's head. Brings it back. Starts having labor pains. goes into pregnant. There's actually a really funny scene where they were like, what the fuck do we do with the head? <laughs> it's just her and her, you know, servant, person, whatever. But they finally they just hide it away and they bury it later. But still, it's a weird little scene. I don't know. But yeah, the twins are born. Everybody's happy. They all live in the town, the capital. And during the summer, they go out. You know, out into the country, out to the the plantation, whatever you want to call it, I can't remember. And they get there, and Blanca, for the first time, she meets it, she befriends this young boy named Pedro. And it finds out this is the son of the father's foreman, like the other guy that was in there where he was just like, hey, you talk to me first, you're the head of this shit now. It turns out he's the, holy shit, he's the son. And Blanca and Pedro, they, oof. From the second they meet, they're little kids. So it's platonic at first, but it grows very deep and very, very, very sexy. Even though he's just the poor farmer guy and she's the, she's the daughter of the patron. And they're in there. They become lovers. You know, as we want to do. She sneaks out of the house. They meet each other. Even though they work, the family works Pedro to death so that he won't even be able to hang out with them. He still works his ass off. Comes, literally I didn't mean to say that but there he goes and then all of a sudden an earthquake hits the house falls on fucking Esteban everybody else is getting out everything's all fucked up at this whole point too there's this old man that's been like sort of breaking shit taking care of things he like fixed this big ant problem they had at one point he also fixes Esteban when Esteban's been all cracked up and broken the goddamn house falls on him Clara spends her time, you know, teaching, caring for her husband. Because he's all broken, he can't do anything. And for some reason, she's the only one that he'll trust. And he basically, she has to, she grows up at this point. Before now, she just wasn't doing much. Blanca is sent off to a convent school. The twin boys are sent to English boarding schools. They come back acting like assholes, of course. But Blanca can't be away from Pedro. She fakes being sick. She comes back, she hangs out with Pedro some more, she slips out. But as she comes home, she finds out Pedro, as soon as Esteban felt better, kicked Pedro out. Kid was passing out communist manifestos, if you believe that, trying to bring a union to the plantation. Teach him how to not work on Saturdays if you can believe that nonsense. So he's been kicked the fuck out for all this communism socialism crazy bastard wanting fair wages but pedro and blanca they still getting together every night doing what they can you know how that is then this french fucker shows up wanting to do chinchilla farms or something the only problem is they they try out a couple chinchillas which everybody's like you mean little rats we can just skin those and Make coats out of them and people pay. And he's like, "Wee wee, motherfucker. So they try it out. They do like a little thing. But the chinchillas get sick or something. They all die. So the Frenchman's like, ah, fuck. I got to do something to get some money around here. And he looks over. Oh, there's Blanca. He's like, hey, how about I marry your girl? And Esteban's like, yeah, sure. Fucking marry her. Who cares? But Clara's like, "Her Blanca's like, no. I don't think so. I don't really want to. He notices that her window's been open. The French guy does, so he's like, "Hey Esteban, you know her? Her window's open. She's been sneaking out at night, hanging out with that Pedro kid that you fired." And Esteban's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And he like rides out one night, sees her like walking back, and he whips her and beats the shit out of her. And you know, fuck Esteban. And Clara's like, "What the fuck are you doing, beating my child? That's not what you're doing." And Esteban slaps the shit out of her, knocks some teeth out of her skull, and, well, everybody's having just a bad fucking day. But Clara's like, you know what, fuck you. I'm never talking to you again. Gets her shit together, moves back to the city, takes Blanca with her. Esteban's like, what the fuck, you assholes? It's all Pedro's fault. So I'm gonna go kick his ass. First, he can't find him, though. So he puts a head out on, uh, hit out on him, and this kid named Esteban Garcias. He comes up. I don't know if you remember Esteban Garcias is his actual kid. Weird, I know. Yeah, I remember he was one of the rape babies. But he comes up and is like, "Yeah, I know where um, Pedro is. You can you can go kill him." And so Esteban's like, "Hell yeah!" And he gets a gun and he goes out there. And he finds him in this small shack and it's just really fucked up, but. He doesn't kill the kid with a gun. He does get really pissed off and goes after him with an axe, chopped a couple of fingers off. But as he sees like the blood and stuff, he like, feels it on his face. And he's like, I don't want to be killing kids. Plus his dad was my foreman until he quit because I wanted to kill him. This is all bullshit. I'm just going to give up my evil ways. I think that's what he said. Because this is the point where my copy of the book stopped. I have absolutely no idea what goes on from here on out, except for a little Wikipedia. Uh, let's see. Bianca apparently was pregnant with Pedro's kid. I know has a kid with green hair named Alba. She marries and divorces the French dude after he was like fucking the servants. Then Esteban runs for Senate because that happened helped so well. He loves the little granddaughter Alba Alba. And Clara fucking dies. Alba goes and lives with her mom and Pedro Who we're dating again. Yay. But Esteban kicks out one of his kids. Alba meets this guy named Miguel. He's like a revolutionary leader. And Esteban plans this military coup because he's been in the military. Because they think the communisms are going to move in. But the military takes over. And they're like, you know what's really cool? Running shit. So they just take shit over. And Esteban's like, ah, fuck. Blanca and Pedro, you get the fuck out. Get your three-armed kid out of here. Three three-fingered kid, whatever, get out. Unfortunately, their kid Alba is kidnapped by Garcia, who's taken over. Remember that little bastard that led him to all this nonsense? His little granddaughter. He totally hurt her, and he tortures her, and he rapes her like her grandfather raped his mother. And Clara comes in, and's like he has a ghost, you know, I think like like Obi Wan or something. Like yeah, Alba, you gotta live, and Alba's like fuck yeah, I'm gonna live. But Esteban gets his granddaughter free, and he's old by now, and he dies in her arms, and, well, after they both, like, write their memoirs, and that's what we've been reading this whole time, and it all comes full circle with the raping and the death and the murder and the green-haired people, all that nonsense. He finally got his green girl, green-haired girl. I don't know if he deserved any of it. I mean, I know a house fell on him, and... Is that really the only bad? Everybody left him, except for his granddaughter, who apparently looks just like the girl he wanted to marry at the beginning. So you don't fuck Esteban. And fuck most of these people. Clara's cool. Well, actually, most of them are pretty cool. Esteban, the one, one main guy we follow through most of it, you yeah, fuck him. Rapist, psychopath, murderer. So yeah, this was a banned book. If you're surprised by that. I didn't check where it is. It's pretty low on the list. 89 or something. it would be on the website. It was banned in several places, like multiple times in California, which is just strange, unless you really look at it. Mostly for the sex and the violence, of course. Uh, explicitness. Some obscenity, of course. Somebody has to throw the word pornographic in there. I do like, in California, at Encinadas, La Costa, Kenya High School, defame the Catholic faith as if that was a problem in 2000 in California two different schools called it immoral and sexually depraved unquote. and basically just everybody saying hey it's got problems you know sex, violence I feel you in all the rape and the murder and the mutilation right even the dog thing was just a little weird but that's how this goes I guess and is it a good book Honestly, I think so. I did have some problems with it starting out. I do like a little bit more of a... Well, I won't say a straightforward plot. I like a little twisty tune every once in a while. But this one sometimes felt like... Well, it felt halfway like a report. Like, my teacher did this, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then my mom said this, and then she said this, and that's what we said. It's not preachy, I'll give it that. I really like a... Sort of moral tale, I'm not really sure where this falls in. If you want to go morality on it, it's kind of all over the place same time though it's really well told. I was talking to somebody about it, and it almost feels like sometimes that the characters aren't moving on their own volition. It's like Claro seeing the future. The writer person knowing this is knowing the future. And it's just sort of moving things, moving places and people to about the right place, to where they'll see or do the right thing. Like, of course, that little Pedro kid Gracias knew where the other, Pe- well, Esteban Gracias knew where Pedro lived. Why wouldn't he? There's only eight people in the whole country of Chile. <laughs> Chile, whatever you want to call it. It's those kind of things. It just felt a little bit Coincidental at times. Not saying it's bad, it's just, it just seems to be. And as much as I'll say, you know, morality is not a good or a bad thing, people just are what they are. I don't know if Esteban should have gotten his happy ending with his granddaughter. course who am I to say? Who should get a good and bad ending? Hell, if you got people judging people like that, don't tell them to anyway. Just tell them to hit the road, Jack. But that's where this is going to end for today. Thank you for listening. Stay in. Read a book. Music, Dances and Dames by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0